0: but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Well, last week I was on vacation, like kind of two, two Fridays ago, I was ending my vacation and uh, the, the vacation started really well. My wife and I, we took a trip up to Door County and had a great time enjoying the fall colors, eating some good food, enjoying some peace and quiet, enjoying one another. It was, it was a great time. Um, but as I came back home and as my vacation uh, started wrapping up the last three days of it, I noticed that I was starting to get a little bit grumpy. Uh, a little bit frustrated, a little bit anger, a little bit bitter, uh, because vacation wasn't going how I wanted it to go. You know, one of the things I love to do on vacation is go on a fun family excursion, and we weren't able to do that because at no fault of my son's, he was overscheduled for work almost every night of my vacation. Uh, during that time also, because I was at a conference before vacation, I would spent a lot of the end of my vacation working on a sermon, which is not what I'd like to be doing on my vacation. And, and whenever I'm doing physical labor, like moving firewood, which was a big part of the vacation, I also have some nerve issues in my back. And so so I was just kind of this grumpy ball of mush. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been there, but but it's not happy for me and it's not happy for my wife or my kids either. Maybe maybe you come here today like that. Maybe you're here and you're just you're frustrated and you're angry at just about anyone and everyone, especially those that are closest to you, and you're just like hugging a porcupine, you're prickly. Maybe, maybe you can relate to that. You know, as I was struggling with my attitude of, of bitterness and anger and frustration, uh, God put this passage in front of me to lead at our community group last Sunday, and, and I described it in my journal as a slap of God's grace in my face. Uh, because this passage focuses us, us on gratitude. And what I realize is that I cannot simultaneously be bitter and thankful at the same time. I can oscillate between the two pretty quickly. I can be bitter one second, thankful the next second. But they can't seem to coexist in my heart. And so, so if you struggle with self-pity, with, with, with anger, with bitterness, with frustration this passage serves for us today as a remedy to that, to crowd out those attitudes and to turn to an attitude of gratitude. And so if you would, please open up to 2 Samuel chapter seven. Uh, if you are in the Red Bible, it is page 259, and then we will also go on to page 260 as well. Uh, we are continuing in Second Samuel. Uh, Just before today's passage, in the first half of this chapter, David offers to build a temple for the Lord in Jerusalem. And through the the prophet Nathan, the Lord says no thank you. I don't want you to build me a temple. And it wasn't because building a temple would have been wrong of David to do, but it's, but it's because well, one of the many reasons, one of the main reasons is because God was about to make some amazing promises to David and to Israel and to the people of God throughout the generations. And God wanted to make sure that David and the people of God knew that these promises were coming, not because David built him a temple, but simply because God loves them and because God delights to pour out his grace upon him. And so he establishes with David and the people of God what is called the Davidic covenant in which he promises to bring a king from the line of David that will establish the kingdom of God for all eternity and it will reign in peace and shalom forever and for always. And so we will see in today's passage, David is overwhelmed by the grace of God. And expresses it in this wonderful prayer to the Lord, which serves as a model for us on how our prayer life, in our prayer life, we can cultivate an attitude of gratitude. And so here we are, 2 Samuel chapter 7. I'm just going to start by reading verses 18 through 22, uh, but we will make it to the end of the chapter by the end of the sermon today. So 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God. For there is none like you and there is no God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. Let's pray. Lord, we come today some of us in a really good spot, some of us in a really dark spot. Wherever we come, Lord God, we pray that you would foster within us this attitude of gratitude that we might delight in the God who has rescued us and the God who blesses us day in and day out. We are near sighted people, so focused on what is wrong and so forgetful of what is right and good and how you have been gracious to us. And so, Lord, pray that you would help us through your spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. In 1993, a film came out called Grumpy Old Men. Maybe you have heard of it. Uh, I've actually never seen it, but I've heard several lines from it. It's set not too far from here in eastern Minnesota, and there's a lot of lines in it that I can't repeat. I Googled it, and they're not very uh, righteous lines. But one of my favorite lines in the movie goes like this. It says, why don't you do the world a favor and take your lower lip and pull it up over your head and swallow? You know, one, one of my prayers, honestly, on a repeated basis is that I would not grow up to be a grumpy old man who is bitter, angry, and crotchety. It, it, the type of man that... that that people don't wanna have conversations with because they will just start talking about how bad the government and how it was so much better in their day and and how all these kids need to keep off their grass, right? Like, I don't wanna be that guy. I wanna be a guy who is more like honey than like a lemon, that I would grow sweeter and not more bitter, that I would be a delight to be around it because I would have a delight in my heart and in my soul. I'm guessing you would want the same for yourself as well. I'm guessing you know people that you have been around that are just bitter, angry, spiteful people. And you don't want to be that. You don't want to become that. And so how do we, throughout our life, in prayer, cultivate this attitude of gratitude? And David really sets for us a great example of how we can become thankful people, not just on the outside, but deep down in our bones, in our heart, in our soul, so it overflows on everyone around us. So how do we cultivate the attitude of gratitude? First off, it is to ponder your humble estate. Look at verse 18 with me, if you would. It says, then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? After Nathan, the prophet shares with David God's gracious promise. We read here that David goes into the tent. He goes into the dwelling place of God where, where the, where the, where the uh, tabernacle is. And David sits down on the floor, uh, probably back on his heels. He's he's kneeling and sitting down on his heels in a posture of humility because David is overwhelmed by God's grace. And he asks this, this, this penetrating, revealing question in which he says, Who am I, O God? Who am I? He looks back over his life and he ponders why God would have been so kind to him, so gracious to him, so loving to him. If you remember... Samuel the prophet back in 1 Samuel, if you don't remember, that's okay, but Samuel goes to anoint the next king of Israel, and he goes to the house of Jesse in the town of Bethlehem, and Jesse brings out all of his boys for for Samuel to to pick one and to anoint one, the next king over Israel, and so Samuel goes down the line, and the Lord says, it's not this boy, it's not this boy, it's not this boy, it's not this boy, and then Samuel turns to Jesse and says, by any chance, do you have another boy? It's like, oh yeah, that's David, but he's out tending the sheep. He's like, well, well, go ahead and bring him in. And so he brings David in, and the Lord says, this is the one. Anoint him as the next king of Israel. You see, God took the man at the end of the bench, and he said, you are going to be the king of Israel. God then gives David great success over Goliath, you're probably familiar with that story, then over the Philistine and all of God's enemies that attack Israel. God protects David from, from the murderous efforts of, of King Saul and later Ishbosheth. and God takes this hillbilly shepherd boy and raises him up to the most prominent position in all of Israel, possibly in all of the world. And what's so amazing here is that David does not look at his kingship and his kingdom and say, Look at all that I have accomplished. Rather, he looks at God and says, Who am I? Who am I, O Lord, that you would bless me so generously, that you would use me for such a great purpose to serve your people for your glory? I'm curious. You know, we we have a, a pretty high achieving congregation. We have people in some pretty prestigious roles in the community. And I'm curious, as you consider the success and accomplishments and blessings in your life, do you in your heart sing, how great I, are, I art. <laughs> hey, look at me. Or do you look at all the successes, all the accomplishments and you say, God, who am I? Who am I that you would bless me so generously and so graciously? The passage continues, verse 19 through 20. If you look there, it says, And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord. It was not a big deal to take David and make him king over Israel. God can do whatever he wants. It says, you have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And so he's speaking of the covenant that God made with David, that is not only for David, but also for his household, also for the people of God, also for the people of every tribe, tongue, and nation. He's saying, you have done this. And then he says, for you know, you know your servant O oh, Lord God. I'm sorry, I skipped. And what more can David say to you? He's, he's flabbergasted. He's out of words. He said, for you know, you know your servant, O oh Lord God. See, David is not only aware of his humble estate physically, but he's also aware of his humble estate spiritually. David knows that God knows all about him, that God sees behind the veneer of his actions on a day-to-day basis. The Lord knows David's secret sins. The Lord knows the lusts of David's heart. The Lord knows David's record of polygamy. The Lord knows his unrighteous anger, how he has failed as a father and as a husband and as a king. The Lord knows David's doubts and fears. The Lord knows all of this. And David knows that the Lord knows all of this. And yet the Lord has chosen to pour out his grace upon David. And so David says, who am I, O Lord, that you would bless me? I'm curious, are you aware of your humble estate? You know, you are just a man or just a woman. You are not God. The Bible says your life is like a vapor, that you are here today and gone tomorrow. You are one of 200,000 people in the Green Bay area. You are one of 6 million people in the United States. You are one of 8 billion people in the world. And you are one of 117 billion people who have lived throughout the history of the world. And unless you are super, super famous, there is a good chance that 150 years from now, nobody will even know that you existed. We are small. We are like a worm in the forest. And yet the God of the universe knows us by name. He has made us in his image. He has made himself knowable to us and has chosen to bless us more than we deserve. That's your humble physical estate. What about your humble spiritual estate? Are you aware of that? Remember, God knows you inside and out just like he knew David. You know, when I'm feeling a little bit righteous, a little bit like, man, I'm good, I'm a good person, I I, I got everything lined up, I'm ready to go, I'm mature, I I don't need, I've arrived. I always turn back to a passage in Romans chapter one, because when I read through this passage, I realize, man, that is, that is totally me in and of myself. In Romans chapter one, it says this in verse 29 through 32, it says, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. I'm like, check, 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 check. That's all in my heart. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, check, 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 check. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Are you aware of your humble spiritual estate? Do you own your sin? Do you confess your sin? You know, when I was a kid and and Christmas would roll around, many times uh, Christmas afternoon, I would be disappointed. I would be unthankful, ungrateful, even maybe a little bitter because I did not get maybe all the gifts that I wanted to get. And so I started a tradition in my family. I've shared it with you before. But on Christmas Eve, as I tuck my kids into bed, I ask them this question. I say, what do you deserve? And they say, nothing. That's right. You deserve nothing for Christmas. That's what you deserve. I love you, but you deserve nothing for Christmas. And then I tuck them in, I pray for them, and I leave to let them ponder this, this humble estate that they are in, that they deserve nothing. And then of course, Christmas morning, we wake up and they run downstairs and we open the gifts and they are overwhelmed with gratitude because they know everything that they get, even if it socks, even socks are a gift that they do not deserve. And so understanding their humble estate allows them to be thankful for every good gift that they had given, even socks. You know, as we grasp the humility of our state, physically and spiritually, as we understand that we deserve nothing from God, at least nothing good, and that God, our creator, is under no obligation to bless us in any way, shape, or form, if we grasp this in our soul, we receive every blessing with gratitude. Not only that, but it also shapes our identity and our purpose. I, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but if you notice here in verse 20, David identifies himself as, quote, a servant of the Lord. In fact, in the 11 verses of today's passage, 10 times, 10 times in 11 verses, David refers to himself as a servant of the Lord. Now remember, David is the king of Israel. He is the king of the people of God. He tells someone to jump and they say, how high? He's the most powerful man in the Middle East, maybe the most powerful man in the whole world. And yet he says, I am a servant of the Lord. And so let me ask you, how do you see your relationship with God? You know, as I think back to my vacation, one of the reasons why I was so bitter, and it's hard to confess this, but one of the reasons why I was so bitter was because in seeing myself as a servant of the Lord in my time of vacation, I saw the Lord as my servant. I wanted the Lord to do my vacation my way with no pain, no suffering, no distractions. I wanted everything streamlined so it went perfectly as planned. And yet, God is not my servant, even though sometimes I may treat him that way. I am a servant of the Lord. And so even as you think about this afternoon, as you make plans, as you go, that's great, that's wonderful. Are you going thinking, Lord, serve me, do everything the way I want it to be done? Or do you go into this afternoon saying, how can I be a servant of the Lord? Because I am a servant of the Lord who has been the recipient of his love and his grace. All of us have lived as if we are God and it has left us empty, bitter, and entitled. To foster an attitude of gratitude and of joy and of delight, we must ponder our humble estate both physically and spiritually and be reminded that we are servants of the living God and it is not the other way around and that every blessing God has given to us is a blessing of his grace. Through his love. And so first, we must ponder our humble estate if we want to cultivate the attitude of gratitude. The second thing we must do is praise God's amazing grace. In the first three verses of, of David's prayer that we've already read, uh, David already details some of God's grace in his life, the, the past grace to raise him up to be the king of Israel and his promises uh, to him to bring up a son that will be king forever on the throne. He continues to praise God for his amazing grace in verse 21. He says, because of your promise and according to your own heart, that is a heart of love and mercy and compassion. You have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. You see, one of God's greatest gifts of grace is to allow you to know God's gifts of grace. Because this within us brings joy and delight. And so God even revealing his grace to you is a gift of God's grace. And that's what David gives thanks for. Verse 22 continues, it says, therefore you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you and there is no God beside you according all that we have heard with our ears. The way that the Lord God is unique to all the other gods in the world is that God is the one true God. The Lord is the one true God. He is the only living God. All the other gods are just the creation of men. I was reading in my devotional time this week, Psalm 135, and, and it said this, I thought it was so fitting. It says, your name, O Lord, Endured forever your renown, O Lord, throughout all ages. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. Our God is a God of action towards his people. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. Their gods are, are statues created by people. They have mouths, but do not speak. They have eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouth. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. You see, all the gods of the world were created by men, but the Lord God is the creator of all men. Therefore, unlike all the other gods, the Lord speaks and he sees and he hears and he acts. All the other gods are just dead silver statues. And those who trust in them will share in their fate. This may seem harsh to people to to say that there is only one true God, but it's not harsh if it is true. For example, I can say to my wife, I am your only husband, and no one will question it because everybody knows I'm her only husband. She doesn't have multiple husbands. I'm the one true husband. Or I can say to my kids, I am your father. You have to listen to me. In the same way, because there is only one true God, it is not harsh for him to communicate it, but it is an act of love to say, listen, all those other gods are false gods who will not hear you, who will not see you, who will not speak to you, and who will do nothing for you. But I am the Lord God with a heart of compassion and mercy that is for you. Verse 23 through 24, it continues, and David's not overwhelmed by God's grace towards him individually, but also towards the people of God Israel says in verse 23 and who is like your people Israel the one nation on the earth whom God went to redeem to be his people making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt a nation and its gods and you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever and you O Lord became their god If you know the story of Israel, it starts with a single man named Abram, who was a a pagan worshiper of other gods. And the Lord God, by by his grace, came to Abram and he said, listen, I'm going to give you and your barren wife, Sarai, a child. But first, you need to come to this promised land, which is the land of Israel today. He says, You need to come to this land, and I will establish you. And he makes these promises, these three pieces. He promises them a people, he promises them a property, the promised land, and presence, that he will be with him. And so Abraham, by faith, comes and his wife, Sarai, has a child and her child has children. And they start growing into this this great people group. They go down to Egypt and they they get so numerous that they outnumber the Egyptians. And the Egyptians are threatened by them. And so they enslave them and decide to murder their babies. But God is with them and God delivers them. And he brings them up out of Egypt, triumphing over all of their false gods. And then throughout the wilderness, God provides for them them manna day after day after day, and then brings them into the promised land, drives out the people that are in it, and establishes them as this great nation, as the people of God under David, their king. And so David is recalling all of these things in his heart and in his mind, knowing that their God triumphs over every other God, because he is the only true and living God. And so David said, who is like your people Israel? Who else have been the recipients of God's saving grace? Who else has been so cherished by the Lord himself? You know, I love Deuteronomy chapter seven and how it puts God's perspective on the people of God, not only in the Old Testament, but also the people of God here today in this room, his church, his bride. It says this, it says, for you, this is the Lord speaking to his people, for you are a people holy, means set apart, Holy to the Lord your God. The the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Who am I, oh God, that you would treasure me? Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people. But it is because the Lord loves you this is why he has blessed you, because he loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, that the Lord has brought you out up with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. I have a friend who is a believer. He loves Jesus, but he went down the wrong track for a while, and he did some very sinful and and wrong things. And because of that, he is now in prison. Uh, He is on a work release program where he gets to go into a a large company here in the community and do work, and then comes home uh, in the afternoon to go back into detainment. But, but, but when he goes to his workplace, he's working there along all the other guys. And, and there's one day that they have this huge party uh, for someone who is retiring. And everyone in the company is invited except for the prisoners that are working there. And so they are all uh, enjoying themselves, eating this great food. They're, they're having this wonderful time. And then out of that party comes the boss. And the boss comes towards my friend, And he looks my friend in the eye who is working there on the floor and he says, I am so sorry that you cannot be a part of this party. And I am so thankful for all the work that you are doing here today. And then he stood there and he had this this long conversation with my friend. You see, the boss didn't have to do that. The boss could have said, you know what? You're learning your lesson, good for you. You stay out there. The boss could have simply passed him by and said, you are lucky I even gave you a job. But the boss took notice of him and interest in him. And it was overwhelming to his spirit. You know, if this is how we feel when the boss notices us, what about the creator of the entire universe? What about when he comes to us and he says, I have placed my love upon you, I cherish you. I delight in you. I rejoice in you. This should create in us an attitude of gratitude as we are overwhelmed that God would focus on someone of such a humble estate. This is amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. It makes us cry out, who am I, Lord God, that you would give me air to breathe and sun to enjoy? Who am I, Lord, that you would know my name and pay attention to me at all? Who am I, O Lord God, that you would choose me to be among your treasured possession? Who am I, O God, that you would set your love upon me? Who am I, O God, that you would send your only beloved son, Jesus Christ, to die in my place and raise to give me new life? Who am I, O God, that even though I am faithless, you are faithless? to me? Who am I, O God, that you would adopt me into your family to be a son and daughter of the living God? Who am I, O God, that you would indwell me, that you would tabernacle inside of me through your Holy Spirit? Who am I, O God, that you would go and prepare a place for me to dwell with you for all eternity? This is God's amazing grace that we must celebrate and rejoice in if we are to be a people of gratitude. And so here they are again. If you want to foster an attitude of gratitude in your prayer life, ponder your humble estate, praise God's amazing grace. Finally, and this is interesting, plead God's promises great. Verse 25 through 29 are very interesting. It's unlike the rest of the prayer because in the rest of the prayer, David is humbly confessing, who am I, O Lord? But now he boldly petitions, do this, O Lord. Look at verse 25. It says, and now, O Lord God, confirm. This, this word confirm is an imperative, which means it is a command to keep, to establish, or to confirm. He says, forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. Notice David has the audacity to petition the Lord God, creator of heaven and earth, because he's asking the Lord to do what the Lord has already promised to do. And David's motivation to pray this audacious prayer is not that he might be lifted up, but that the name of the Lord may be lifted up amongst the people of God. Verse 26, he says, And your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house, which is the Davidic dynasty. Therefore, your servant has found courage, has found courage to go before a holy and awesome God, has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God and your words are true and you have promised this good thing to your servant. David prays this courageous petition to the Lord who is holy and awesome because David is simply praying back the promises of God. It continues, verse 29. Now therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, has spoken and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. Again, for the third time, David reminds us that he is simply praying the wonderful promises of God back to God. You know, in our house, we have a a bonus room above the garage, and in that bonus room, some of your kids have probably been in there, but there are two basketball nets at the end, and you can run back and forth and play basketball. It's a short ceiling, but it's fun to run around a place to get get the energy out. And and my youngest son, Cooper, will say, Dad, can we go up to the bonus room? Can we go play? And I'll say, yeah, yeah, I I need to finish this project, right, and so so I, I promise we will go up there when I'm done with the project, well, you know, 15 minutes goes by, then 30 minutes goes by, then 60, dad, dad, can we go now, can we go now? You promised we would go, can we go? Yeah, yeah, I promised, we would. just let me finish this up. And then, you know, you know, an hour 15 goes by, an hour and a half, dad, please, can we, let's go, you promised, let's do it. And, and he's doing this because he's eager to spend time with his dad, he's eager to have fun and do this great thing that his dad has promised. He is petitioning his dad to be faithful to his promises with great joy and delight and excitement. This is what we see David doing. This is what Jesus teaches us to do in the Lord's prayer. I don't know if you noticed, but in the Lord's prayer, we're simply praying the promises of God back to God. Jesus says, to pray like this, he says, our Father who art in heaven, again, reminding us of his greatness, our humility, and his great grace to call us his children, and then he starts saying this, hallowed be your name. Guess what? God has already promised to glorify his name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God has already promised that this will come to fruition. Give us this day our daily bread. God promises to provide for us more than the birds of the air. Forgive us our debts. God says, if you confess your sins, I am faithful to forgive. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil as promised. We can pray with boldness before the throne of God because we are simply praying the promises of God back to God. We should pray with urgency, hoping and delighting that God would answer his promises quickly, that he would bring his kingdom to bear in our hearts, in our homes, and in this world. God has made great promises to David. God has made great promises to us. And so we are called to pray these promises back to God, again with urgency and expectation. Because all of God's promises find their yes and amen in Jesus. Let me end with this. Um, As I prepared this sermon, uh, again, this passage just hit me really hard because I was not in a good place in my heart. Um, And as I was evaluating my own heart that was bitter and entitled and frustrated, uh, one of the most convicting things to me, uh, and really one of the most difficult things for me to swallow are two members of our congregation that are the most joy-filled, thankful people that I know, some of the most thankful people that I know. And yet they are still people who have every reason, well, at least from a worldly perspective, to be very bitter people. One of these is a man who uh, has been homebound uh, for medical reasons Uh, And as far as I understand it, a lot of his medical reasons are because of mistakes that doctors have made in the past, and so he is suffering the consequences of those mistakes, and he has the opportunity, I guess you could call it, to be bitter towards those previous doctors. And yet when I go and visit this man and I go to, to try to be a blessing to this man, he is such a blessing to me because he has such an attitude of gratitude. He is so thankful for how the Lord is comforting him in this time. He's, he's honest about the difficulties, but he's so thankful for his church family. He's so thankful for his wife who takes care of him. He's so thankful for the sunshine. He's so thankful for everything. And so, so you drive away from this appointment and you're thinking, why do I complain about anything? Here's this guy stuck at home, stuck in bed, and he is so full of the joy of the Lord because he is so thankful to God. The other man I, I think of is the man who I mentioned earlier, the man who is in prison. He, he committed crimes. Uh, he knows he did. He, he confessed them. He knew he deserved to go to prison, and so he is doing that. But on top of that, he was accused of other things and convicted of other things that he did not do. And so his jail time was extended. And so there is, I'm sure, a temptation in his heart to be bitter towards the judge, to be bitter towards his lawyer, to even be bitter to God because he has this extended time in prison for things that he did not do. And yet when I get to talk to him on the phone, when I get to see him in prison, he is one of the most thankful people you will ever see on the face of the earth because he is so thankful that God is using this time to draw him closer to the Lord. He's so thankful that he has this opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with anyone whom God brings into his cell. He's so thankful that he gets to go and work this job during the day. He's so thankful to have wife and children who are at home who love him and care for him. He is such a thankful man, even though he can be so bitter and angry. And so I I look at these two people and I say, what is the secret? Why are they so joyful, so thankful when I struggle with so much bitterness? And the secret is actually contained here in this passage. You see, in this moving prayer of David, he uses the phrase, O Lord God, that is Adonai Yahweh, seven times. Because what he is communicating by using the personal name of the Lord is his close intimacy with God. You see, whatever situation you find yourself in, if you are a child of God, you have the greatest treasure of all. You have God himself. He is the greatest blessing, no matter what blessings you have or don't have in this world. And so in every situation, as we sang before, we can give thanks to the Lord because we have the Lord himself as our God, as our creator, but also as our Father who is near to us and with us every step of the way. And so, friends, if we want to cultivate this attitude of gratitude, we must ponder our humble estate, realizing that we are entitled to nothing good. We must praise God's amazing grace for every good gift he has given to us, especially the gift of himself. And we must plead God's promises grace. Great. Remembering that he has promised good things to us in this world and in the world to come. Let's pray. Lord God, we do pray that we would become a more thankful people, that we would delight in the gifts that you have given to us. We are so thankful that by your amazing grace, Lord, that your Son humbled himself and came into this world and took on a state of a servant, of a slave, that he might go to the cross to die for us, to raise on the third day, to give us newness of life, but more than that, to give us a relationship with you for all eternity. May we, Lord God, Be transformed, transformed by our meditations, by our thoughts, by our pondering, by our prayers, knowing that we are the most blessed people on the whole face of the earth. Whether we are stuck at home or stuck in a prison, we are richer than anyone else out there because we have the greatest treasure of all. We have you, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.